Good morning and happy Sabbath. Or as we say in Peru, Feliz Sabado. I would like to share with you some of the beauties of God's creation this morning. Over the past year, I have gotten into regularly posting to Facebook. As a scientist, many of the posts have been creation-related. I would like to share some of them with you and have you think about what they mean for each day of creation. This post on July 5 referred to a book by Philip Yancey on how we are fearfully and wonderfully made in God's image. The next few posts will be about humans and the animals in God's creation. This one last December displayed a number of jigsaw puzzles of animals and other parts of the creation. I was fascinated by, by biology when in high school and kept some of my notes and a flower collection. This was a slide and a sermon I gave at my 50-year class reunion last spring in Maryland. That afternoon, I visited the Nature Center at the local conference summer camp, Mount Etna. Early this year, I visited the Serengeti in Tanzania in preparation for organizing a geology field conference there a year from now. It will mainly be for science teachers and students in the East, Africa Central, uh, East Central Africa Division of the church. So what will we be talking about at this field conference? Biology, geology, other sciences, and what nature can tell us about God. Think about that as we look at the next few Facebook pictures. These are from the Ngoro Ngoro crater near the Serengeti. The crown crane and the superb starling. The Agama lizard near Lake Victoria. We visited Lake Natron in the East African Rift Valley, which is famous for flamingos. Last month, two of us at the Geoscience Research Institute participated at a conference in Peru. One day, we visited some islands off the coast. Penguins live on these islands thanks to the cold Humboldt current that flows north along the South American Pacific coast. It is also home to sea lions. A geology colleague of mine is also an avid birder. In addition to his numerous geology publications, he just came out with a bird book specifically on flycatchers. While spending a year in Africa as a volunteer teacher, I saw plenty of creation's smaller creatures, chameleon, termite queen, and locust. In grade school, my brother got me into collecting butterflies. And this last Sunday, we had a birthday party where a student from the Loma Linda Biology Department brought a wide assortment of snakes. When I posted this on Facebook, one person said, you just discovered the origin of evil. Now for some plants. Perhaps one of the biggest hits of the Facebook postings was the sunken garden at Bouchart Gardens on Vancouver Island in Canada. 
some fall colors near Oak Glen on a run up Pisgah Peak a year ago. Ferns in Hawaii from a visit there in August. The various life zones while hiking up Kilimanjaro. Bananas and giant groundsel. Poinsettias at the lodge we stayed at before the climb. Hibiscus when we were visiting Hawaii. A bottle brush tree at our office this past spring. The crepe myrtle at our house that is Debbie's pride and joy. And other plants in our yard that Debbie takes care of so carefully. So what do we learn about God from his creation? In a class, I would be asking you that question. That he is a good God? That he is an exquisite designer? A lover of beauty? Does that lead you to praise the Creator for what we see of his handiwork? To worship the Creator over the creature or creation? For sure. These were created on the sixth, fifth, and third days of creation. What about what was created on some of the other days? When did God come up with the laws by which nature functions? For example, the laws by which mathematics works. Was that before the creation? This is the Mandelbrot set that can display complex and beautiful patterns based on a very simple mathematical rule. He created light on the first day. So perhaps that was the day he set up the electromagnetic force that governs light and electricity and magnetism and chemistry's periodic table of the elements. This Facebook post was made when I purchased a periodic table that had all of the real elements embedded in the plastic. The electromagnetic force governs how water behaves as solid, liquid, and gas. It governs how atoms bond to make beautiful crystal structures and minerals. As a kid, I played with my chemistry set and my electronic lab kit. As a physicist, I studied the strong force that holds the protons and neutrons together in the nucleus. In order to study the strong force, we would create new particles and antimatter and detect them in the lab at Los Alamos. We would accelerate particles to half the speed of light and smash them into atoms. We would do alchemy and turn carbon-14 into nitrogen. I had to learn to live with paradoxes that light is both a wave and a particle. Our intuition is limited when we have to deal with the small sizes of the atom where quantum mechanics works, with speeds close to that of light where special relativity works, and with solar masses where general relativity works. So God fine-tuned the constants of nature so that life is possible. On the fourth day, he created the sun and moon at the distances from Earth so that this type of total solar eclipse is possible, as seen on August 21, 2017, 
in Oregon. The planets and stars. The Milky Way's black hole. Isaac Newton was a father of science who studied nature to glorify God. He developed the reflecting telescope to look at the heavens. Now there are myriad telescopes around the world and in space to study the heavens. The largest concentration of telescopes may be on top of Mauna Kea in Hawaii. The Webb Telescope recently got this picture of the pillars of creation. As astronomers have studied the heavens and looked back in time, they come to the beginning and the beginner, the creator. When was weather created? On the fourth day when the heavenly bodies determined the seasons? Or on the second day when the waters were separated from the waters? This was the downpour as we started climbing Kilimanjaro. And this was the hail we had at our house last Sabbath. The Teganugan Falls pouring over volcanic rock layers in Bali and Multnomah Falls in Oregon. Victoria Falls between Zimbabwe and Zambia in southern Africa, important to Debbie and me as we were dating. One part of creation that I think about a lot that perhaps you may not think about as much in showing God's stunning handiwork. That is the earth itself, without form and void, on the first day of creation, and land formed on the third day. This picture was taken while out running in Wildwood Canyon State Park this summer, where the topography and geomorphology is heavenly influenced by the San Andreas Fault System. And nearby Forest Falls that includes one of the strands of the San Andreas Fault, and many of the rocks are basement rocks of creation. San Gorgonio, uplifted as a result of a bend in the San Andreas Fault, along with the San Bernardino Mountains. Mount San Jacinto was also uplifted by a bend in the San Andreas Fault. How and when were these granitic rocks created or formed and uplifted and eroded? In this relief map, you can see the straight line trace of the San Andreas Fault as it cuts along the base of the San Bernardino Mountains, then through Cajon Pass and out into the Mojave Desert. The fault separates two tectonic plates, the Pacific Plate on the west from the North American plate on the east. Here in Cajon Pass is a sag pond on the San Andreas Fault that is fed by water moving up along the fault plain. Some of the most beautiful parts of God's creation here on earth are the rocks. This is Mount Rundle in the Banff area of the Canadian Rockies. These sedimentary layers were uplifted at an angle due to massive pushing of one land mass against another. The results of the massive forces uplifting the Rocky Mountains can be seen here in Dinosaur National Monument, where the rocks are faulted and tilted upward. And, nearby, bent into a V-shape 
in some very easily deformed gypsum. The Matterhorn, although it is called Cervino on the Italian side, the Alps were uplifted due to pushing of the African plate against the European plate or Eurasian plate. Azungate in the Peruvian Andes at 21,000 feet was uplifted as a piece of the Pacific plate move under the South American tectonic plate. Mount Everest continues to be uplifted as the Indian plate hits the Asian plate. The hand sample shows the deformation as one large slab of rock was pushed over another. And I will be visiting there this coming week. The maroon bells in the Colorado Rocky Mountains near Aspen are sedimentary layers formed from water erosion and transport from the ancestral Rockies. Rainbow Mountain in the Altiplano of Peru is made of sedimentary rock layers deposited underwater. Picture frame arch near Moab, Utah is made of sandstone sedimentary rock. Delicate arch is another sandstone arch near Moab made of the Entrada sandstone interpreted to have been deposited in a water or a desert environment. The sandstone sedimentary rocks of Petra in the country of Jordan have been carved into buildings. For my master's research at Loma Linda, I studied lake sediments in a valley in Nevada. It displays complexly deformed sediments. Were the rocks in the valley formed at creation? During Noah's flood or more recently? It contains leaf fossils and petrified trees. This was my favorite mountain when I attended Highland View Academy in Maryland and climbed it many times. The Appalachian Trail goes along the ridge of Black Rock Mountain. The karst topography of western Cuba is made of water-deposited limestone. And we took a field trip there when I taught at the seminary. The Dolomites in the Alps of northern Italy are made of a limestone type of rock. A five-mile-long mountain next to the Dead Sea in Israel is made of almost entirely of salt precipitated from water. In addition to the evidence for large-scale water movement, ice also erodes as glaciers. This picture was taken while flying over Greenland. The fjords of Norway show the results of this glacial erosion. Evidence of past glacial action can be seen as grooves near Cape Town, South Africa. And then there are granitic rocks, like in Yosemite, that are formed from liquid magma underground. John Muir saw these as opening windows to God. Granitic rocks by Lake Victoria in Tanzania are the basement rocks of creation. Granitic type rocks off the coast of Russia in the Arctic Ocean have been brought to the surface from many miles underground. We are also doing research on granitic rocks from Mexico. Here, Luciano Gonzalez is organizing samples he collected in Sonora State. <clears throat> Mainly, we are doing research in Peru, studying the granitic rocks in the Andes Mountains. This was a group of South American educators 
that we took on a bus tour there last month. If this liquid magmatic rock comes to the surface, it forms a volcano like Kilimanjaro. Oldoño Lengai is an active volcano in the Rift Valley of Tanzania. We have our own volcanic rocks in the Mojave Desert near Interstate 15 on the way to Las Vegas. Here is a lava tube that liquid rock once flowed through. The Galapagos Islands had some volcanic eruptions this year. Iceland also had its volcanic eruptions as well. And the Iceland volcanic rocks have lava tubes. Iceland is volcanic because it sits on the spreading center where North America is moving away from Europe. Volcanic rocks make up most of the Isle of Patmos. Pompeii is a catastrophic reminder of the destructive power of the volcano Vesuvius. The catacombs near Rome are carved into a similar kind of volcanic rock. Lake Taupo in New Zealand has volcanic rocks that are so light that they float on water. We are doing research on the volcanic rocks of Hawaii to better understand rates of geologic processes. This is Dr. Martinez getting a 3D picture of the flow. Here's the green sand beach, and here is Waipio Valley, and Diamond Head at the end of Waikiki Beach. The rocks that we study are made up of minerals. Two of our Loma Linda geology students helped make a video about mineral identification a year ago. We have a nice display of minerals in the Geoscience Research Institute Museum. We saw beautiful tanzanite during our visit to East Africa. Some metamorphic minerals we found in our visit to Cajon Pass last June. When looked at under a petrographic microscope, the minerals display some spectacular coloration. Fossils are the other part of geology that really catches people's attention. Here's a trilobite fossil in the famous Burgess Shale of the Canadian Rockies. Brachiopod shell fossils from the Altiplano of Peru during a field trip last month. Well-preserved fossil whale bones observed last month nearing the Pacific coast of Peru. A crow-sized bird fossil seen in a Beijing museum. A petrified tree seen during a field trip to eastern Zambia. And God provides for our needs. Practically, geology is useful for oil exploration and for copper mining. Plate tectonics in the geologic column are the unifying concepts to understand the worldwide distribution of rocks and fossils. This is the group at Loma Linda University that I work with on research to understand the worldwide geologic record in relation to the Genesis account of origins. Our main research area is in Peru, south of Lima, in the foothills of the Andes Mountains. One topic we are studying is how quickly large bodies of liquid rock can cool down. For example, the granitic rocks in Yosemite. 
Another topic we are studying is radioactivity and the isotope ratios that give millions of years of time for geology. This mineral quarry is located near Hemet. The large black minerals are tourmaline. This Geiger counter meter finds that the greenish mineral I am pointing to is radioactive and makes the meter chirp quite loudly. We have gotten ages of hundreds of millions of years on rocks from the Box Springs Mountain near Moreno Valley and published on this in the scientific literature. We have taken granitic samples near Machu Picchu and gotten ages of more than 300 million years. Here we took a granitic sample from near its contact with volcanic rocks in Peru and got a wide range of ages between 100 and 250 million years. So how do we understand these millions of years in relation to the record in Genesis? I give talks on this with many ideas that creationists have given. And I recently did an interview available online about radiometric dating methods. So how do I summarize what I have learned from nature? I see the design and beauty and provision for our needs in nature, and it leads me to praise and worship the Creator. But I also see the evidence for evil design and destruction and death. I see the evidence for the effects of water, for catastrophe in nature and worldwide events, and there I see God's fairness and justice. But I also see evidence for a long time. What do I do with these two big questions? In reading the Bible, I see that I am not the only one with questions. Job had plenty of questions for God. Naaman wondered why Elisha didn't heal him as expected. John the Baptist wondered whether Jesus was really the Messiah. And even Jesus on the cross cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? Questions about evil have been around for a long time. I was asked about this by a physics colleague in Russia some 30 years ago. I gave the standard answer that God gave freedom and an angel chose poorly. Dr. Goncharova said she had already heard that answer because she had attended an Adventist church there in Moscow, but she was not satisfied. I understood why as I traveled along a 100-kilometer canal between my research area in Dubna and the airport in Moscow. That canal had been dug by hand by Stalin's political prisoners in the 1930s where tens of thousands had died. Where was God then? Fyodor Dostoevsky gives more brutal examples in his book, The Brothers Karamazov. Why does God allow so much human evil? Plenty of examples are available in the book, The Most Evil Men and Women in History. Did God design the shark as a killing machine? or the spider to trap flies. Charles Darwin found it difficult to believe that a god of love was the source of parasitism. He found that natural law provided a better answer. It is indifferent to the cruelty and pain of nature and to human misery.
Ultimately, evil has no explanation, for to explain it is to excuse it. However, there are clues in the context of origins, clues from creation, the fall, the flood, the creator incarnate, time, and recreation. Six clues. First, God made a good creation. Evil is not God's fault. Second, God created humans to truly love. And for that, free choice is necessary. But it leaves open the possibility of bad choices. Third, God is just, and evil will be dealt with fairly, as at the flood. Fourth, the incarnation shows that the Creator feels the evil with his creation. Few give thought to the suffering that sin has caused our Creator. All heaven suffered in Christ's agony, but that suffering did not begin or end with his manifestation in humanity. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Fifth, evil is limited in time. It is part of our name as Seventh-day Adventists. From the history of a seven-day creation, we see a short past and a recent entrance for evil. From prophecy of a second advent, we see a short future and a soon restoration to good. The saints under the altar ask, How long, O Lord, to get the bad stuff over as quickly as possible? And finally, the creator who made a good creation will be able to make a good recreation where evil will be eradicated forever. The second issue is time. How long, O oh Lord? Our group is doing research to try to understand the time issues. This is a poster we put together for the general conference session last June, describing our worldwide research and the people who are participating. As we work in the scientific community, we find that most scientists are not trying to undermine belief, and they have said that quite plainly to us. We have a very good working relationship with the people at the Radiometric Dating Lab at University of Arizona. We are going there again in February, and we are doing good science. We are finding that our human understanding is so limited and that many answers are unavailable. We are finding that our picture of God is too small. He has a thousand ways of doing things that we know nothing about. And we are finding that the second commandment specifically warns against worshiping too small a picture of how great God is. My study of science and my reading of others makes me realize the need for something more than pure naturalism. Mathematics and the new physics are incomplete. The universe has a beginning and appears designed for life. The origin and complexity of life and the conscious mind point to something beyond. The evidence and reason of science are important, but something more is also needed. The example I give of the need for more than just evidence and reason 
comes from my own experience. It is the usual story that I tell about Debbie. Actually, the story is about me being a nerd, her being willing to put up with me, and me learning a few things in the process. When I came back to college from my years of volunteer teacher in Africa, I decided it was time to get married. To do that, I planned to use the scientific method with evidence <laughs> and reason. I made a list of what I wanted in a wife and a list of the available young ladies at the school. I put them on a large piece of computer paper with the qualities along the left side and the ladies along the top. Then I filled in the squares. If I did it today, I would use an Excel spreadsheet. I narrowed down my options and asked out the best one on dates. She said yes. I asked her to marry me, and she said yes. Now we have been married for almost 45 years, so the scientific method works for selecting a wife. <laughs> However, I have learned a few things from Debbie over the years. There needs to be more than evidence and reason in our relation but some emotions as well. She has taught me well, and I have gradually learned that. Similarly, in understanding the natural world, I have found evidence and reason and science to be essential, but also find there the need for something more as well. As I said in my dissertation acknowledgments, I would like to express my gratitude to the Creator for making our natural world such a fascinating topic for study and for making the study of the great principles that govern the physical world an introduction in parallel to the great principles that guide our social activities and moral obligations and a sampling of some small part of his character. And how do we use what we know about the Creator? I would suggest that we draw people to Christ not by loudly discrediting what they believe, by telling them how wrong they are and how right we are, but by showing them a light that is so lovely that they want with all their hearts to know the source of it. Amen. <clears throat> Father, we praise you today for the wonders of creation, we humbly acknowledge our human limitations. May we be a caring community to draw others to Christ by showing that light that is so lovely. For in him all things were created, for he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. In his name, amen. <clears throat>